After the Monuments is proud to thank Team Henry Enterprises for their support of our show. Team Henry Enterprises is a black-owned contracting firm specializing in office, retail, medical, multifamily, and higher ed construction of all scopes and sizes. In the wake of the George Floyd protests, Team Henry is the very firm contracted by the city of Richmond to take down the Confederate monuments in Richmond, and by many other municipalities to remove other Confederate monuments around Virginia and throughout the Southeast. Learn more about Team Henry and how they can help your company rebuild, renovate, or design at TeamHenryENT.com. I'm Kelly Lemon. And I'm Michael Paul Williams. And welcome to the After the Monuments podcast, where we look at events and news about race in a historical context and see how, too often, history repeats itself. And welcome back to After the Monuments, a real talk about race with Michael Paul Williams and Kelly Lemon. And in this episode, we are going to dig a little bit more deeper into what we're going to be talking about for these next couple of weeks. We came up with some great topics and some great conversations. And and, and one of the things that I want the audience to know, again, is we're both from Virginia. I'm from Tidewater. You're from right here in Richmond, we may have about 20 years, a little less than 20 years on us. Mm, maybe a little us. more. Oh, I don't okay. know. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I'm excited about is the things that you write about and you talk about. I know because I did my own research on it. I have this love for Black Richmond. I have this more love for Jackson Ward. And so I, I know a lot of, about what you're, what you're speaking of. I also was raised on Hampton University's campus, and I played right underneath that tree. And so growing up, you know, I knew what it meant. I knew, I just knew my history. And being a Black American, you know, from the state of Virginia, people often go, oh, you're from Virginia? You know, and they, they turn their nose up, and I'm, and I'm the one that goes, oh, yeah. And you these probably are, are, were too. One of these are black places. folks. We all come from Virginia. We all come from Virginia, right? Like again, we started culture, American culture. Period. So deal with it. But you know, some of the things that you know we're going to get into is who's included in the American story. You know, we just had a leader, if that's what you want to call him, say blacks vote just as much as Americans do, right? Yeah. And there is also, as we're recording this, we are in a month or 28 days that has been dedicated to black history. I can't stand it. I, it. It makes me cringe. You know, but if we don't have this month, is our history being told? Like, that's the debate. Like, who's telling America's story? So we're going to get into that a little yeah. bit. In, in my column today, um, which is centered on Black History Month and the ironies of where we are now in the context of black history, of suppression of black history, I, I, I mentioned that we used to have these debates about, you know, we really need Black History Month anymore. Or some folks like, I ain't feeling Black History Month. You know, this seems patronizing. It seems insulting. You know, it was rooted in, of course, um, Black History Week, Virginia and Carter G. Woodson, and then yeah. it became a month. And, and, and it was born out of a necessity yeah. that we did not get black history otherwise. Yeah. I feel like we're moving back toward that point. You know, it, it's again like Obama with the post-racial America. You know, I think the idea that we can dispense the Black History Month is from another moment that is not now because <laughs> history itself is on the ropes. Yeah. Um, accurate, legitimate history is on the ropes mm-hmm. due to government 
right-wing censors who are trying to legislate, literally legislate white comfort. I'm not exaggerating <laughs> yeah, this. No, I, no. I've never seen anything like it. We're, they're trying to embed into the state codes um, in places like Virginia, Mississippi, Florida, pretty much that, you know, white people shall not be made to feel uncomfortable. No, they would say these these laws are race neutral. But who are we kidding? To feel uncomfortable. Like that, like... You feel comfortable? Never. (laughs) I have never felt comfortable in my 63 years. Never. So a teacher reached out to me who said, I'm going to be teaching about Ruby Bridges. If you don't know the story of Ruby Bridges, you've seen the image in the Norman Rockwell painting of... The little girl, six years old, walking to school, and you see the legs of the law enforcement agents accompanying her to school because she was in danger. She lived that. She's still with us. She's still she, not much older than me. She lived that. She lived that discomfort, and discomfort is a ridiculous word for what she experienced. It had to be traumatizing. Yeah. She lived that. And now we have people, politicians, ridiculously arguing that our Children cannot learn yeah. what she lived through. Yeah. What, what is yeah. that? That's, yeah. that's... Because you're uncomfortable. Like that, like it, it just, and it makes me so angry that their level of comfort and, and we have to be sensitive to they didn't do that. They, well, they weren't the ones to do that. And I think I think the parents, to to a significant extent here, are projecting upon their children. The children can handle it. Yeah. There's, who's who's more resilient than a child? And isn't the that, children can handle it. The parents are projecting their fears and yeah. their biases yeah. to their children. And isn't that one of the reasons why we saw so many white people out at the riots? Young white people out at the riots because they felt like they had been lied to. Mm. And I'm seeing that too on social media where <clears throat> the parent, the child is calling out the parent. No, we got, I got questions. Cause you told me one thing or you made me believe one thing, but here it is. Here's the truth. It's, it's not just the parents, the, the state and, <laughs> and the, the, the public education system promulgated lies for generations about history. And now that we're trying to get to a more honest telling of it, there's this upheaval. There's this revolt against the truth. It's yeah. crazy. Critical race theory. Oh, that's it. You know, you know, like nobody ever heard. We weren't talking about that. That wasn't a, a big conversation until these last two years. This is it's all part of a strategy. And, and this is what disturbs me about Virginia's governor populating his administration with people from the Heritage Foundation, because right wing think tanks like that think up nonsense like this. These talking points, because it, it's never the brainchild of one person. And one, it, it's always a national kind of playbook. They know very well what they're doing with this race baiting and, and this distortion and fear mongering, mm-hmm. which is exactly what it is to divide us, to um, stoke white resentment as a political weapon. It's despicable. Yeah. Cannabis. I, I never thought that we'd have all these conversations mm-hmm. about weed, <laughs> you know, um, in my lifetime. I just, mm-hmm. that's, that's just being very honest. I mm-hmm. thought it would stay underground forever. <clears throat> Here we are. Black folks still locked up for it, though. Well, it's been part of a long, I mean, people who have been talking about legalization for much of my lifetime is going back at least to the 70s. What we experienced with the social justice movement gave a measure of momentum to things that had been talked about, but slow walked or put on the table somewhere or resisted. So it's all good because there are far too many people in in, in jails and prisons 
for nonviolent drug offenses. What we cannot have, though, is basically the creation of a new industry that enriches the usual suspects while locking out the people who have been hurt the most by the discriminatory application of marijuana laws. And that would be people of color, multiple times likely to be prosecuted and locked up for the same offenses. Black people and white people use drugs. It's been documented in study after study. We we like drugs. <laughs> we use them at the same, pretty much the same rate, yeah. <laughs> you know, of all the disparities in America. The usage of drugs is not one. <laughs> but who gets prosecuted and, and locked up for it is another matter. And, you know, we can't, okay, we're in this moment where, you know, it's legal. And now people are lining up. The, it's, it, there's a level of hypocrisy to it. You know, some, some of the politicians who probably voted against it probably, okay, legal, how can I make money off this? Yeah. It's, it's been ever thus yeah. in America. That principled stand suddenly kind of melts away once the profits can be seen. And, and we can never have a real talk about reparations. Mm. That's a word that, and, that and, I'm and, hoping comes up a lot during and, the podcast. Yeah. yeah. What reparations means and how reparations can take all sorts of different forms. You know, the usual boilerplate response to reparations is my my family didn't own any slaves. Nobody owned a slave. <laughs> you kind of buy those. Who exactly, whose family owned the slaves? Because I haven't met anyone who will own up to it. But <laughs> reparation has a, the need to repair. Yeah. Lives with us today in all sorts of public policy endeavors. You can't say that there's no one around who wasn't disproportionately harmed by marijuana law. There are just too many of them who walk among us, who remain incarcerated. You can't, I mean, I, I read a story in the Washington Post recently about a family who bought a home in Southside Virginia and came to find out that their family members had been enslaved on that property. I'm like, you paid market rate for a home that your family members... <laughs> Mm. Basically subsidized, mm-hmm. enriched, mm-hmm. you know, enriched the family who owned them. Yeah. It, it just, there's something, there's, what's wrong with that picture? Yeah. We've got to always be thinking as we move forward to a more perfect union about what repair looks like. There should be no public policy where that isn't considered, and, and at least of all, the legalization of marijuana. Yeah. Okay, people have been harmed before we've reached this more enlightened and profit-driven <laughs> uh, moment. So what are we going to do? Yeah. Let's get into also the murder of George Floyd, the national recognition of the pandemic allowing for people to be at home, to be forced to watch some of these things, was the disparities with the poor. And the the poor happens to look like you and I and our brown brothers and sisters and public housing and what policing looks like to us. That also has just been, it's, it's, it's a never ending conversation. How are we getting into that when we talk about After the Monuments? One of the most important things we will be doing with After the Monuments is keeping those conversations alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are doing it in our coverage here at the Times-Dispatch, but there is um, Americans and Richmonders and Virginians are no different, have short memories. Can we honestly say that police reform, defunding the police, whatever you want to call it, is still on the front burner in America? It's hard for me to make that case. Don't hear much. I mean, you know, you know again, I mean, until something happens. Yeah. More recently, we've had two law enforcement officials uh, murdered. Mm-hmm. That's on our front page today at Bridgewater College. Mm-hmm. God bless them and, you know the fullest extent of justice to the murderer. We had um, police officers um, murdered up in New York. These things are horrible, but we can multitask. 
And it seems to me that the conversation about law enforcement is, is getting a short shrift right, right now. Even as we still see evidence, we see videos online of, you know, saw a man who was just summarily executed by a group of police officers. He might have had a box cutter in his hand. And there are like a half dozen, at least a half dozen police officers, and he... They just unloaded on them. And it just, we don't have the luxury of pretending there's nothing wrong and that there's something that doesn't desperately need fixing. Yeah. Um, the mentally ill are still mm. at, at, at risk, tremendous risk in, in their encounters with police officers. And just mentally, <clears throat> just the mental that this has caused on all of us as well. You yeah. know, like there's a new group of people that are understanding mental illness and mental health mm -hmm. because <clears throat> of. The, the trauma, drama, yeah. and everything that's happened within these last yeah, two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, exponentially, every every aspect of mental health, mental illness, is 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 and addictions are on the rise, understandably, yeah. in in a in this moment of, of of tremendous trauma, which again adds a sense of urgency to our mm. responses and making them 21st century tactical enlightened responses rather than the sort of response where part of the law enforcement problem part of the incarceration problem is it's all like education they're asked to do too much you know and we, not trained enough yeah not trained and not not nearly trained enough yeah but we these are we don't we don't as a society we don't deal with mental health in america mm -hmm at all. We don't deal with it well at all. We incarcerate the mentally ill. We, we, you know, we execute them. You know, we've, we've stopped, we've got to stop, stop treating health issues, health problems, and wealth problems. Mm. We've got to stop criminalizing them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk, you know, people talk about what needs to happen with law enforcement. I mean, there's a holistic, systemic reevaluation and recreation that needs to take place that no one seems interested in in pursuing because everyone wants to feel safe. Yeah. But part of the reason people feel unsafe is a our avoidance of substantive solutions to real problems such as mental illness and and, and poverty and also because of the guns. <laughs> Yeah. There are too many damn guns. Yeah. yeah. Anybody can get one. Yeah, it's an insane amount of guns in this country. Yeah. And you know, that's that's a non starter. Because again, there's money to be made. Mm -hmm. And an industry aided and abetted by politicians that loves to stoke fear because it stokes profits. We are so excited to be bringing all of these topics to this platform. And again, we are in Richmond, Virginia, and we feel it's the epicenter of if Richmond can get it right, the whole world should be able to follow suit because of the racism that is embedded here from, from, the, from the start and from the ground up. Mm -hmm. What do you want the audience to take away from this podcast? Your ultimate goal for the listener is what? To interrogate our political structures, our policy making, what we have been told is our reality, what we have been told is America, and to deconstruct it, to think critically about it with the goal of coming up with real answers for systemic problems that we've never addressed. Racism, first and foremost, to not fall for the political okey-doke. Mm, yeah. You know, there's a lot of rhetoric out here, a lot of absurd rhetoric, meaningless rhetoric about divisive concepts in the classroom, which is an utterly meaningless phrase, the debasement and um, demonization of critical race theory. Mm -hmm. We need to be very skeptical of a lot of we're, what we're hearing in the body politic right now, because that agenda is not an agenda. Not, it's not a people's agenda, to be honest, including the target audience. People are angry. Mm -hmm. 
People are afraid. People feel a level of alienation. People feel like their lives aren't getting better. But they continue to support politicians who are utterly uninvested in making their lives better. Polls show that people want things that politicians have no intention of delivering. What I would hope is that what we discuss can be empowering in, in some way. And I am looking forward to the fact of, I know you because I know you, but I don't really know you, right? Mm -hmm. And I... And you don't know me either. And I am excited that these conversations are going to have both of our perspectives on what we know based off what you're writing and me just being mm -hmm. out there in the in, in the community and, and doing the thing. I also am hoping that we're going to agree to disagree on some things mm -hmm. and with our guests as well, mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that the list of people that we're going to that we're asking and hoping that are going to come on here. They're not coming on here just to shoot the shoot. You know what I'm yeah. saying? They are coming on here because they are experts in their fields and their perspective is well-respected and they're going to challenge the conversation. They're going to give a, a different lens. I mean, that's another thing we talked about is that, <clears throat> that younger voice. You know, yeah. there's somebody that's 20 years younger than me that is going to come on this and have a totally different thought process and is going to challenge us as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, so, yeah, I, I mean, I work, I work with, encounter young people whose perspectives are totally different from mine, as they should be, because they are, are born of a different time and in, in place. And and I learn a lot. I learn a tremendous lot from them. No one really benefits from the preach to the choir, amen chorus kind of deal. What I would hope for, because I'm not an expert in anything. I'm a newspaper columnist. <laughs> I, I I depend on experts. Mm -hmm. What I would hope for is a forum for open minds and open hearts, yeah. legitimately open minds and open hearts. What lends me a level of despair nowadays is that too often I'm encountering closed minds mm. um, to the point where people are just saying ridiculous things. Mm -hmm. uh, the election was stolen. I'm totally fine with, with creating a system where people snitch on teachers who are trying to teach honestly and legitimately about what happened in America. Just that, that's, that stuff is not okay. Yeah. You know, newsflash, you know, if you want to go down the path of, of Nazi Germany or, or, or the Soviet bloc. This is the stuff you do. Mm. And uh, the idea of American exceptionalism, that this, it can't happen here, is at least one notion I hope to disabuse our, our, our listeners of here. Mm -hmm. Can we get canceled? Is there anything that we can say that people would be like, oh, let's because can cancel culture is a thing. Censorship's a thing, too. Yeah. So um, I don't think there's anything we can say here that'll cancel us. That's because um, I'm a newspaper reporter. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, I I reside in the fact-based world. I have opinions that are based on facts. Mm -hmm. I think, frankly, the people who hold elected office <laughs> don't live in the fact-based world, and and that's a real problem. So cancel them. How about that? <laughs> How about that? Michael Paul Williams, Kelly Lemon, After the Monuments. I am so excited and just ready to get into these conversations with you over these next couple of weeks. And we want to make sure that people are staying engaged with us. So make sure that you are following us on all social media and definitely make sure that they read your column um, every week. We do have themes, but news is going to break. Yes. And we're going to break yes. it when it happens. Yeah. So There's a lot of news. Yeah, we're going to try to follow the schedule. However, it is our job and responsibility to when it breaks. We're going to talk about it. Then. All right. All right. We got a journey to, to go on. Kelly Lemon, Michael Paul Williams, After the Monuments. After the Monuments is a Virginia Video Network production and produced by Matt Pacilli, Michael Paul Williams, and me, Kelly Lemon. Technical direction and editing from Bill Barksdale. Executive production from Paul Farrell. Diane Salvatore, and Paige Mudd. 
Will Royer provides studio support. Our artwork is by Krishna Mathis. I'm Kelly Lemon, and we'll see you next week on After the Monument.